Hi, I'm Jameson Newlander, Alan Frog from The Lost Boys, and you're watching the Frog Brothers Podcast. Let me get up it's refreshment time, folks. I'm just gonna go watch a movie. Do you like scary movies? I don't watch movies. I have to return some videotapes. You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV guide. Read the TV guide. Don't need a TV. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me shallow. It's the fucking truth. Over 1,600 titles, each for rent at just $2 the first night, and only a... Welcome to the Frog Brothers Podcast with your hosts, Justin and Alec. Recording in progress. I like that. So, welcome to the Frog Brothers Podcast. We have a special episode <laughs> celebrating the fifth anniversary of Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Joining us are world-renowned interdimensional crossrip co-hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. Welcome to the show, fellas. Hey, how's it going? World-renowned. I don't know yeah, about that. Man. Maybe like uh, South uh, uh, Colorado uh, to maybe the Florida Peninsula. No, it's, yeah. You're on the World Wide Web. Yeah. World renowned for Ghostbusters. World Wide Web. Whatever Anglo, Anglo-centric with a touch yeah. of German and French speakers in there, I guess, maybe. I think you guys still have an Angel Fire website somewhere, right? Uh, yeah, G- uh, GeoCities. Yeah. That's <laughs> Chris shakes his head. It's out there, and it's, it's somewhere it's gaining sentience, and it's going to kill us all. I just want everybody <laughs> to know that. Just forewarning you. Okay. And our reality, it's called Lycos, not Skynet. So, their <laughs> email addresses. Well, Damn. I mean, you never know. They've been changing the name up to, uh, you know, it was Genesis. Uh, you never know. The next Terminator movie, it might be GeoCities. GeoCities. <laughs> uh, that's great. Genesis didn't have another name in. Uh... I'm pretty sure it did, but I forget. They like kept. Yeah, in Dark Fate, it. it became like Sunshine or something like that. Like, what? The, it's yeah. not. Okay. Whatever. Is this a Mario yeah. game or a Terminator movie? I don't know. <laughs> The Rainbow Road will kill us all. Exactly. Would be cool so, to see. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, we're just here to chat about the fifth year anniversary of Answer the Call. I know there's a lot of hate for that in the fan community. I I don't hate this movie. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Um, I've changed my thoughts and things on a few of the, few of the moments having rewatched. I just rewatched this uh, over the weekend with my lady friend, Liz, and she, uh, she quite enjoyed it. And I, you know, shown her the original recently too. So she doesn't have a, uh, near and dear nostalgic stick to it. Like I do. So it was good to get a fresh opinion on it and just kind of get some fresh eyes to see if, uh, if I'm crazy or not. And <laughs> well, she must accept my craziness because she knows the <laughs> stuff I have. <laughs> she still said you're crazy, but it's okay. I think it's totally acceptable fine. crazy, right? I do remember coming over there and you guys were watching Captain Marvel. And um, at one point she described it to described it as the movie with the green guys. <laughs> I think she was referring to the suits that the actual, the, the Captain Marvel and Jude Law wear, not the aliens. 
not the Cree. Yeah. The, yeah. The green suits, the, <laughs> the green lanterns, you know, those guys. Uh, yeah. The Power Rangers, basically. Yeah. Their helmets off. Uh, yeah, it's fun. like everybody that's outside of the people that would listen to, to our podcasts, uh, they're always like, it's okay. It's fine. I enjoy it. My kids enjoy it. Or I enjoyed it. Or it, like the, the amount of like, I saw a great post actually. Uh, and I, I sent it to a couple of people. Um, Ghostbusters 2's anniversary was a couple of weeks ago. And one of the official sites put up like, uh, you know, Ghostbusters 2 came out on this day in 1989. Uh, and the first comment underneath it was like, this movie, though not as bad as Ghostbusters 2016, will go down as one of the worst Ghostbusters films of all time or whatever. Uh, and then I saw that Kurt Fuller, who played Hardemeyer in Ghostbusters 2, was like, thanks for tagging me in this because, uh, you know, who cares? It's crazy <laughs> stuff. But yeah, there's all these people that they have to go straight to hating on Answer the Call. And it's like, okay, sure, it wasn't the best movie. It wasn't the movie that we all wanted or that, you know, some people didn't want. Uh, it's fine. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I, 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 I don't understand the hate. Yeah, I don't understand the hate for it. I've, I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, actually, I just wanted to get all conspiratorial. I haven't watched it. A friend was telling me about it. It's, there's an HBO documentary series that basically covers uh, Russia's uh, hacking, digital asymmetrical warfare. Yeah, that sort of thing. And actually uh, mentions I, that there's kind of a, a a hint that some of the early online hate rants of the call may have been uh backdoored by russia just sort of testing out how much you just those push social media. seeing how they can antagonize yeah yeah so because yeah. none of it felt like it measured up like online was just so insanely intensely against it and then if you just asked a random group of people you never found that one rabid guy, right? You found a few people that are like, no, I don't like it. A lot of people said, yeah, it's all right. And then a couple of people absolutely loved it. It's like, that is not mapping over to what we're seeing online at all. It's just. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so weird how people choose to like take that negative energy. Um, and you always want to be like, did you not watch the second movie? Because that's how you get to be revived. <laughs> this is how mink coats yeah. come to life and run down yeah. the street. There's a, a podcast slash YouTube channel I listen to um, has one of the guys from Cinemassacre from he used to be on Cinemassacre and stuff. And he, he runs a, one called Hack the Movies. And they just had one recently they did about Ghostbusters, too. And they just did nothing but talk shit on it for about an hour. And at oh, the I end of it, I was that, just yeah. like, it's funny because they made a lot of good points. I mean, with in regards to it having some sequelitis and things like that that are just like eh, you know how the hangover 2 is probably the worst sequel ever because it is just rehashing the first movie and there's <laughs> it ghostbusters 2 is not that but it definitely does a little bit uh, there's some things in there that are uh problematic that maybe i didn't notice as a kid but like i i don't see how everybody like the, some people think ghostbusters 2 is straight up better than the first one and that's just crazy to me and they're the same people that, you know, a lot of them hate answer the call and think it's the worst garbage ever and it's an abomination. But you you kind of hit on the root of the thing when it comes to discussing answer the call. It's twofold. One is it, every movie will always be somebody's first introduction to the series. Somebody will have always seen one of the movies before they saw the rest. And it will it will be graded on a curve to them based on that. And then the other thing is, is that it's completely subjective. You can come at answer the call from any number of different ways. And it's not necessarily that if you 
dislike it or you think it has faults, you're wrong. I think I think where everything started to break down was when online decided it had to be 100% binary. Yes. Like it was it was either the worst thing ever or the best thing ever and there wasn't a lot of room for wading in and saying, well, there's pros and there's cons or and then at the end of it you just have to walk away going why are we spending this energy? There are people that <laughs> I mean, we'll probably get into it, but my feeling is, is that every year that goes by, whether you like that it won out over something more directly tied to, you know, Reitman and the originals, um, what have you, at the end of the day, it got made and it really did find an audience. And then it's hard to have these discussions because you say things like, look, it brought a lot of new kids. And I mean, literally, well, kids and adults too. Like we talked about this before, Troy, there's a, there's a whole segment of, of adult society that really bonded with like Holtzman and the rest of the characters and went perfect. I love this. Yeah. But a lot of kids saw this first and being kids, they're not like, but, but the rest suck or whatever. It's <laughs> I, yeah. um, we it's haven't really covered kids. this here. I'm melting, so if halfway through it sounds like I'm having a stroke, <laughs> the Vancouver heat wave is getting to Chris. But yeah, you're right. It's like a, a lot of kids. Their first introduction to Ghostbusters was the real Ghostbusters on Saturday mornings, and right. Uh, but I I'm guilty of of that because I never saw the theatrical version of Ghostbusters until like ninety one, ninety ninety one, because I always had the TV version. It was the only version I was allowed to watch. But I watched the real Ghostbusters, and I knew that inside and out. And I think you guys will probably want to talk about it, but like you can tell that Paul Feig and Katie Dippold watched and grew up with real Ghostbusters. And even Melissa McCarthy at one point, you know, mentioned that like you know, real Ghostbusters was a staple on Saturday morning. So it's like for for those people that watched real Ghostbusters and then come back to watch the original film, they're no less fans. They're they're uh, you know they, they can discover things however they see fit. But same thing with Answer the Call. Like people. Oh, that old movie with those guys from Saturday Night Live? Ah, okay, I've never seen it. And then they see this movie, and then it turns them on to the, the previous films, and then hopefully also opens them up for Ghostbusters Afterlife that comes out in November, because it's like now they've been acclimated to, to proton packs and ghost traps and all these things, uh, and it's it's kind of like their introduction to it. Yeah, yeah I mean, if, if a kid, and by kid, I mean, let's say up to early 20 something and there's a lot of that youtube is filled with a lot of kids doing like millennial first watches and all that online so they're watching a movie now for the first time and responding to it as a 35 plus year old movie that was like if in 1984 i saw ghostbusters and somebody said you should totally watch like Ghostbreakers or uh, or Scared Stiffs or something like that. That old black and white movie with Bob Hope, the guy from the telethons? Mm, right, which, wow. I, which I grew to love as I got older and started to appreciate older films more. But as an eight-year-old, I'm like, no, that's crappy old movie don't like. So I don't know, answer the call kind of, it is what it is. I mean, I hear a lot of people going, oh, comedy today sucks. And I guarantee you there was people watching Ghostbusters in 84 going, oh, comedy today sucks. Look at this movie. So, yeah, that, I don't know. That reminds me of like one of my favorite scenes in, you know, Freaks and Geeks. We uh, have a sound bite of it in one of our little stupid instrumental theme songs we do. And uh, it's when uh, Bill's talking to the gym coach who's dating his mom at the time. You know, it's played by Biff, Thomas mm -hmm. Wilson. And uh, he's talking about seeing stripes. And he's like, you know, I hate that Bill Murray. He's such a wise ass. And he says, Bill Murray is the funniest man on the planet. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
that kind of just reminds me of what you're saying. Like even the older generation back then, like they wrote that into there and that's a Paul Feig thing. So it actually comes full circle. Yeah. <laughs> it's, or it's like the Gilbert Gottfried uh, quote when he had Matthew Broderick on his show. Uh, Chris, you probably know this. And he's yeah. like, at the very beginning of the show, he doesn't even introduce him. He's like, Matthew Broderick, I need to tell you something. I fucking hate Ferris Bueller. What a little jerk that kid is. And he just <laughs> lays into poor Matthew Broderick without even saying hello. But it's like that generation looked at Ferris Bueller and was like, man, this kid is just out of control. And, and Rooney is the good guy in this. He's not the bad guy. And, but you know, our generation grew up and like, oh yeah, stay Ferris. Ferris Bueller is awesome. Like I want to be that kid. Yep. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But anyway, yeah, I think, is, what were we talking about? Ghostbusters. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I lucked out and had the original on VHS as a kid. I remember like it getting delivered by UPS. Like I must've just badgered my parents into it after watching real ghostbusters and getting the movie and so i had one of the unedited versions right you know i had the theatrical release just the pan and scan to deal with so um and i, I still love that better than ghostbusters 2 obviously it, in my opinion just my experience number one's where it's at but ghostbusters 2 i get the nostalgic ties to go into the movie theater to see it right i remember like losing my mind and probably upsetting my parents in the theater when i just saw the teaser poster for ghostbusters 2 on the wall at the little eight theater cinema that we live by it was like what what is this going on they're like no it's like next year and you're like what do you mean i got a, a year a year yeah. as my life is like 20 years in, in, in a grown-up's life yeah so and that was the first well, time it's ever coming right yeah <laughs> yeah never heard anything about it before and then i remember uh you know leading up into that releasing the uh oprah episode that everyone was on and my mom's like a big Oprah fan, you know, just a sign of the times. And she's like, Hey, the ghostbusters are going to be on Oprah. Do you want to watch it instead of real ghostbusters? And I'm like, uh, okay, sure. Yeah. Like, I remember like being heavily disappointed, but I go back and watch that now. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. It's a good little uh, PR piece leading up to the movie release. And then I think, the you... Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say you saw the poster and then had to wait a year and maybe talk with your friends about, what do you think it's going to be like? And then you'd see the Oprah, maybe a star log had come out or something like that. Oh yeah. And they announced answer to the call. It got dialed to 11 immediately and then held that like FM sine wave tone of, of chatter for like a year and a half until that movie got yeah. you know finished and put and, out. And Paul Feig was really good about dialing people in too. Like through his social media, he was updating people on his Instagram, snapping photos from the set and of costumes and, and things like that. And yeah. the and was, I mean, famously showed off like the dimensions for you're like, whoa, you're giving us dimensions for this stuff. Yeah. I mean, and, and dialed into the fans, like for, for, for any faults that you have with the movie, or if you want to like uh, put, put on your, your uh, dartboard Paul Feig's photo, um, you shouldn't because the poor guy was really trying to involve the fans. Like you said, that first photo of the proton packs, then he released a second photo with the dimensions for people who wanted to, to build it. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like we had the opposite of what we have for Ghostbusters Afterlife right now, where it was like, we're getting constant updates, we're seeing tons of photos, we're seeing all of these little details and things like that. And the movie doesn't come out for another year and a half. So of course our hype level is just like, oh, I, I'm thinking about what this does and that looks great. And people start building the replica packs, you know, not having seen the film. Um, and, and it was great. I mean, that ramp up that Chris is talking about was, was a whole lot of fun. <laughs> like just the fun. Yeah. And, and knowing that a new film was coming and 
like Alec mentioned Freaks and Geeks. Like I loved Freaks and Geeks. I love Paul Feig. I, I had high expectations for this. I love Kristen Wiig. I love Melissa McCarthy. Um, I, I, Leslie Jones had just sort of broken on um, SNL. So, uh, you know, it was like, oh, I, I can see that. Okay, she might be a, a, a fun, you know, kind of counterculture element to this. Um, and then Kate McKinnon, obviously, again, a, a big breakout star on, on SNL, but I wasn't quite as familiar with her either. Um, yeah, it was like, okay, sure. If, you, if you're going to try to recreate Ghostbusters and try not to completely rehash things, which is what Ghostbusters 2 always gets flack for, this is the way to do it. Recast everybody, give it a spin so that it's not, you're not comparing people to Bill Murray. You're not comparing people to Dan Aykroyd. You're not comparing people to, to Ernie Hudson and, and Harold Ramis. Sure. Do you, yeah. Do you think the though that giving the stuff that really only us as fans appreciated as as good of a move that was, do you think maybe it would have done better if they had tried to keep as much of it under wraps as possible, like Afterlife is doing? Because here here's what I've wondered over time is every time something came out, legit or not legit, the people who were prepared to just hate it immediately went to town hating it. And were met by the far larger, even though they said they were, they were the majority and the masses and the keepers of all things Ghostbusters, and we were all wrong. Mostly just the the smallest group and loudest. All they were met with was a bunch of reasonable people. That the best argument they could put forth is, let's wait and see. And these people were never going to wait and see, anyways. Like, how much better would that movie have fared if there was way less, like way less all we did was yeah. generate the news was negative right every time something came out the haters hated it they got amplified by people trying to respond to them but the best they could respond was just give it a chance which they were never going to do and then the movie came out and it was a lot of it was already just kind of pre-decided what would have happened if we had gotten to the movie the movie came out the haters then immediately went to town but were met with you know 10 to 1 by the people who also saw it in the theaters yeah. and came out and had an answer which was this was great. This was great. This was great. This was so, so, you know what I mean? Like they had concrete responses. Yeah. It was carrying so much baggage going into it. Like seeing, yeah, seeing they, they didn't have a null answer. They had a, yeah. they had a proper positive that they could argue to the negative. Right. I don't know. It's, it's like that, uh, you know, no bad press is negative press or whatever, because, you know, you've got that whole concept of like, well, let's keep filling them up. But yeah, that's a good question. You know, how would things have drastically changed in, the longevity of this movie had there not been that kind of negative attitude just being given fodder to you know chew over and spit out immediately as soon as that was released well, and I'm, like not, exhausting, I'm not bad right? i'm not bad melting feig and all that either because yeah. i think it obviously was a hard spot and they made a call that wasn't necessarily wrong i just don't think it worked out the way they they were hoping it would work out in the long run and like i said i kind of wondered if they had chosen the other way if it yeah. might not have worked out better but well, and the, it's it's hard for me to digest and like spread the message without sounding negative about it is people are going to feel the same way about afterlife um the problem is is like we build these movies up in our head expecting yeah. to be our version of the third movie and i'm not working for sony i'm not making that third movie so <laughs> our expectations versus reality is very i was about to say it's a big thing with expectations because you see when answer the call was coming out when when it was announced that it was a reboot i was kind of busy with my personal life and trying to worry about what i was going to do with school and everything i wasn't i was that in my adult life that's the only time i was pretty much out of the ghostbusters fandom and news 
for like a year period. And so I think we noticed and we marked you down for it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a real <laughs> bummer. But my expectations were different than everyone else's, I think, because of this. Yeah. So when I saw it in theaters, yeah. you know, again, I of course saw things that I didn't like, but I was overall like, hey, you know, not too bad. I even saw some, you know, oh, oh I didn't realize I wasn't aware that Bill Murray was even going to be in it. I don't think when I went to see it, that's how much I was out of the news. So it was a good time for me. And then, you know, I, I had known about the kind of online talk a little bit about the hate and some of the stuff Leslie Jones went through. I remember seeing in the news, but um, other than that, I think my expectations, I think that definitely plays into what people expect out of a movie because they knew there was a Ghostbusters movie being made. And once they found out it was going to end up being a reboot, I think that's when a lot of people's attitudes changed. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot to this to chew. Troy and I have talked about this before that I think honestly think it's going to take at an academic level another 20 or 30 years before you can start honestly pulling bits of it apart and trying to talk honestly about what was going on. Because every time you try to look at one point, you just you bump your shins into eight other things and you're trying to figure out yeah. should you make them part of the conversation or not or mm. so like i said easiest for me is just at the end of the day i was like if a whole bunch of new people got introduced to ghostbusters through this movie and it wasn't a small amount i don't know that it was a huge 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 amount but i don't think it was an inconsiderable amount uh then perfect that's at a minimum what we could have hoped for and Troy just mentioned this before too this job at a, this movie did at a minimum uh what we needed it to do which was to to really bolster the franchise you know set the set the way for new movies and and, yeah. and tv shows in a way that merch just wasn't going to do it right like it really reopened the, comic- the door yeah yeah yeah, I mean, and, uh, I mean, I think we saw that at FanFest, even just hearing Jason say thanks to Paul, you know, like, you know, you kind of, you kind of got in front of this and you got ran over by the bus for us and uh, <laughs> you know, kind of took one for the team and just to see where that's gone. But, you know, I did want to kind of just focus on some of the more positive aspects of the movie, like totally do things that really went out of their way and I thought were done so well. And, you know, I had one of my, one of our friends in our local, uh, uh midland empire ghostbusters you know we're a non-profit group here and we do a lot of the charity events and one of the guys isn't a huge fan of it and a few of the guys are just kind of like yeah you know no opinion here right. or there, but, and i'm like thinking if you think of this movie as a live action real ghostbusters because that's where katie the writer's coming yeah. from then you really can start to see that from a different light because a lot of the jokes a lot of the style of humor in there really kind of plays more to that animated stuff and it, it's just because it's what they know. Um, and I, I just think if people stop and reassess, reassess or look at it through a different lens, then they might just appreciate it more, right? It's never going to be the first movie. That first movie was unreal, right? I don't, you know, had that not been made when it had been made, like even if we think about had it been made with Belushi, imagine the roller coaster ride that could have been. And yeah. if, you know, imagine a Ghostbusters 3 in the 90s when, you know, when we review movies, we think about like, if you've seen, um, you know, anything post-Independence Day, right? What would that movie have looked like just with the CGI? It's Some of it's aged well, some of it hasn't. Um, you know, the Sandler, really- Farley, Chris Rock version that was so mm-hmm. close to happening in the 90s was uh, was real. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. yeah, we've been disappointed by that. It's possible, but I think some of the <laughs> things about uh, 
answer the call was just the fact that they took the jargon and, you know, they really ran with that. And I think that's, it just felt like that Dan Aykroyd level of commitment to the uh, jargon and, and getting things right on there and kind of explaining that. And then even if you've seen the behind the scenes stuff, right. As someone that loves film, I've watched every minute of every bonus video that came with all the DVDs and Blu-rays and everything, just to kind of see what was, what was going on with it. And you see them explaining the real actual physics of what a proton pack would look like and a cyclotron and how all that would work. And you're like, they really cared about doing things in a, in a form that would be genuinely scientific and yeah. wanted to represent that well. And I think that's another thing that gets lost because people are just so focused on the movie, not being what they imagined it to be. Yeah. That's always a tough one too. Cause by that point it was like 30 years of people wishing and daydreaming about what the movie would be. There's never, ever, ever going to be any for anybody. Like everybody was going in and 100% not going to get the movie that was in their oh, head. Phantom Menace. So. Yeah. It's, it's a Phantom Menace scenario. Like I, I, no. honestly, yeah, they, it was like a Kobayashi Maru where they, they had a no win scenario where it was like, okay, we can't please all the fans. Uh, we can't, make this a big commercial popular success. Uh, we can't appease all of the people that have turned this into a political battleground, which we didn't expect uh, in the middle of our production. And But you're right, Justin, they're focusing on the details. They're focusing on like, okay, we're going to bring in an MIT professor and we're going to make sure that the whatever Holtzman is saying actually has some sort of, you know, f uh, even if it is fantastical, even if it is fictional, there is some sort of pseudoscience to it so that it, it sounds real. It's not just, you know, the, the Star Trek uh, technobabble. Techno -babble. Um, so they, they really poured their heart and soul into that. Yeah, they, they made sure that uh, there were something that we had never seen before in a Ghostbusters movie. There were uh, iterations of the technology. So you see them go from this giant shopping cart proton pack uh, all the way down to the thing that they wear on their backs. Uh, and that was cool to see that they start with a prototype and they work their way through it. So that the gear, yeah. Uh, and, and knowing that Paul Feig is a big gearhead too, that he loves all the gadgets and all that kind of stuff. Uh, totally makes sense. But but yeah, but effects, but I, effects took a huge jump. The ghosts took a huge jump. Totally, they they did the the LED lighting on all <clears> of the ghosts <throat> so that there would be that interactive light with all of the things around them and the and the actual tangible space so that the animators could then work with that and so they really they really did their homework on on that. But um, but I, I want to go back to something you said about it being a real Ghostbusters episode because. If you look at the movie in that light, and then you go watch a couple episodes of Real Ghostbusters, particularly like in the third season and beyond, um, the influence is very apparent and very clear of Real Ghostbusters on this film. Because uh, for the longest time, I was trying to explain Holtzman. I'm like, oh, she's a she's a uh, Doc Brown. She's a millennial Doc Brown. She's kind of crazy, wild-eyed scientist, right? But then when you watch Egon in real Ghostbusters, you realize, no, she is real Ghostbusters Egon Spangler, just with a little bit more of that kind of like hyperactive personality. It's the new age Spock, but also working on this and fiddling with this. And no, I can't help you because I'm working on this invention that's in the background. And like that really sold for me. And then it also put into context one of my biggest complaints about the movie which was that I love Robert Yeoman's cinematography. Uh, Wes Anderson films, he's done so many amazing things. It, it, the Wizard, uh, a near and dear movie to my heart, which is really stupid, a big commercial for Nintendo, but the cinematography is gorgeous. Uh, Robert Yeoman, 
it just knocks out of the park. But then you see this film and it's that big oversaturated F-16 sunny day. Everything is bright and shiny and happy. Uh, the same way that they shoot comedies now for anything. You know, Bridesmaids is shot the same way as whatever the, the movie is that just came out last week. Uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. It's all bright, shiny, happy, saturated colors. And it was really disappointing until that that analogy came through and I was like, Oh, he made it like a cartoon. It's a big Saturday morning cartoon. Of course the reds are super red and, and saturated. Of course, all of the skies are bright blue and, and beautiful. Um, and I, I think once you start to put things under that lens, you start to appreciate the movie in a different way. Much like when you watch uh, Indiana Jones, and the kingdom of the crystal skull, which I know everybody's like, Oh no. But same thing, if you put that through the lens of it was supposed to be a B sci-fi movie from the 1950s where the original films were 1930 serials, you look at it and you go, oh, of course, that's why they did this. That's why they had the nuclear element in the beginning and they nuked the fridge and all these things that everybody complains about. It yeah. starts to make sense. You start to see the purpose behind it, I guess I should say. Yeah. I mean, like Aliens is no more <clears throat> of a thing to talk about than, uh, you know, Jesus and all that stuff. So <laughs> it's you know it's, yeah, totally. space jesus that's what I basically space jesus. Uh, but i like you were saying with the lens that's the thing when i saw the movie i didn't really like that they all had um and this is like one of the small things i didn't like you know it's not like when i say i don't like it i don't i didn't rage about it or think about it while i was smoking cigarettes staring off into the distance or anything i just kind of like, <laughs> I, like eh, no, I don't care for that part but more they all have side background like are you okay we're worried yeah. about you man are you okay no i'm just just do you have any more cure records? <laughs> um, but they're side weapons, right? I didn't like that at first. I was like, I, why did, you already have a proton pack and a trap. I, I don't like this. Um, but it, then you think about the real Ghostbusters toy line. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is actually fucking cool. I like this. The ghost chipper makes sense as a toy, right? Yeah. Totally. All that I, stuff. I had a street sweeper that was a ghost catcher. Like, okay, yeah, everything's a possibility yeah a lot of the stuff designed for the movie i i think they literally sat down and had the conversation which was do we try to emulate or homage the original and then everybody's just automatically like, people are gonna compare everything we do to what was in the original one so should we just not try something our own way a little different because if they're gonna compare them we might as well just do what we want to do sort of thing right I don't know if that makes any sense. I did yeah. mention I, I, I am I, English may not be what I'm speaking right now, but like if they had tried to replicate the proton packs, but updated them or made them different or something like that, or if they tried to redo the Ecto using another old caddy or something like that, everybody would be like, oh, you were just trying to do the old one and you didn't do it as well. I mean, if you're going to take that kind of comparison uh, flack, you might as well just make it your own thing. And that's what they did, right? Like the, Again, rather than trying to do the old caddy, they found an entirely, you know, a different uh, uh, ambulance hearse type vehicle to. Yeah, but again, in they took flat... Like again, the the, yeah. the heart was in the right place. They're like, well, we'll pay we'll pay homage to the original film by getting 1984 caddy so that it. Yeah. 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 Pro awesome. The proton the proton packs weren't completely redone. Uh, they did uh, roll out a couple of new pieces of equipment and uh, 
you know, fair is fair. They did the same thing. Ghostbusters too. Let's try to put a couple more fun things out there. Sort of uh, uniforms. They're like, well, I mean, we're not going to put them in, you know, leather, you know, X-Men outfits. We're going to put them in jumpsuits, but let's design our own jumpsuits. And, uh, I, I honestly think as time goes on with this movie, uh, the haters are just going to fall to the background. Uh, you know, it'll be like any other movie. I think it's just going to slowly, it's, it'll find the people who like it and the people who don't will just move on, and so, which means you give it 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and it'll just grow into having its own natural fo- following. And all that decisions they made to make original stuff will work in there for more and more and more and more and more because it's just, it is inherent to the new movie it's not some knockoff of the original movies uh yeah and you know i mean when you see how rowan rowan is just a real ghostbusters villain right i mean it's a little deeper obviously with the suicide but we didn't really have the human villain as the protagonist in the first movies i mean you have the tension of the mayor's assistant ghostbusters 2 and obviously walter peck which you get a little bit in answer to the call, but the focus is that the villain is, is, is human and, and is trying to do things. So, I mean, that was a huge leap and change as well. And I think a lot of people didn't even stop to think about why they didn't like it. And maybe, maybe that was uncomfortable for them in film form, right? You know, if you didn't watch the cartoon, maybe you, you didn't know any better. Maybe you weren't open to comparing it. Yeah, why does this guy hit the Ghostbusters? I don't understand. That's huh. yeah. He's in a diner sketching the 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 Moogly with sharp teeth, and you're like, why does he hate the Ghostbusters? I mean, to because follow what you guys are saying, he is more of a a, a cartoon villain, though. Yeah. Right. Zool oh, Zool sure. and Vigo. I mean, they're 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 weirdly over the top and stuff like that, but they're not cartoonish in any way, shape, or form. Like there is, they were designed to be kind of strangely supernaturally menacing. Rowan was beginning to end. <laughs> just like cartoony right literally started as a cartoon uh and then just grew into a giant cartoon of destroying an awkward looking like, cartoon yeah yeah well there you go so yeah i guess for me you know there's a few criticisms i have of the movie and for me the all the cameos i didn't really feel were necessary um i just feel like that distracts you from what's going on with the heart of the movie I appreciate the fact that they wanted to have everyone involved in some shape, but I think that when you see those people, you're more disappointed. They're not who you know them to be and love them. They're not active. They're passive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I agree with that to some extent, Bill Murray, you kind of just wanted to see him do more and have funnier stuff to say, but like, I love Dan Aykroyd's cameo still. I mean, it's cheesy and stuff, but it's like, it works. I just like, it. it makes me smile. But Dan Aykroyd's cameo also gives you that like multiverse vibe that, you know, is is open table now i mean really the mcu has opened up to people to not be like hey we need to think so linear about everything like we're already talking about multi-dimensional gods appearing from a portal on a roof of a building so i mean if we're gonna get weird let's get weird um so i I think that's a big piece to that as well and i I just love how you know dan's character clearly knows what's going on and so you know you know i always is like how do you make this movie make sense with the original universe and then IDW is like, uh, we're going to work with Cryptozoic and we're going to throw out that uh, Men in Black Ghostbusters mashup. And you're like, you guys stole my idea. Uh, yep, that's <laughs> just what I was thinking too. I was about to say the, I like, just watched Men in Black like last week too. <laughs> the biggest Sony properties, like, right? How do you el- eliminate all that with, uh, you know, a neuralizer? It's easy. Yeah. It's, like a, it's a one line yeah, in a movie. Like, you know? like we're going to cross over Men in Black with 21 Jump Street and you go, 
I don't hate it. Not what I had in mind, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, like uh, the, the guy who's uh, doing the Fast and the Furious movies talking about crossing over with Jurassic Park. And you're like, <laughs> I mean, uh, 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 I so I want to I want to pose a question to you guys because I always like to hear other people's opinions on this. Uh, and Chris and I have talked till we're blue in the face about it. But um, given how how Paul Feig was active online, was engaging with fans throughout the entirety of production, was it was completely had his finger on the pulse of all of the, the the conversation that was happening online about the movie and all of the the controversies and things like that. Um, we Chris said, I think we would have been better off if we didn't know anything about the movie. I would also argue, do you think that this movie would be better if they were kind of operating in a void and didn't acknowledge all of the stuff that was happening outside of wherever the sound stages in Boston were that they were filming because there are there are things in that movie where I go, oh, that's just a direct response to the stuff that was happening on Twitter to them at the time of production where it's like, no, I want the Ghostbusters need to be heroes. Like forget making them have to be frauds and having to like get arrested at the end of the thing. And like, you can tell that they were just trying to find some way to comment upon all of the things that were happening to the production itself within the movie. Like if they would have just operated in a void, if they would have done what Jason Reitman is doing with, with Ghostbusters afterlife uh, and say, no, no, I'm going to make my movie. I'm going to tell my story. Do you guys think that it would have been a better film that there wouldn't have been those things that people bump on and would have not made the people that were so vocal on Twitter, just even bristle because like, Oh, they're engaging. Like you're engaging with the trolls. Okay. Let's see. Let me take some notes. I'm going to talk about this online. Do you think that that distracted them? Do you think that that would have, maybe enhance the experience of the film uh, i mean i think paul feig and knowing you know, like his heart is, as far as representation goes and not wanting to just you know have everything be the predominant white male hollywood you know propaganda machine that we've all grown to love and, and hate for whatever reason I, I think he wanted to be in tune with that but i think his misstep was that all the amazing content they released should have been a book that came out after the fact, all that behind the scenes stuff, because what that did is that eliminated any, anything for us to collect, even, you know, love or hate the movie. It's still a movie about filmmaking. You know, there, there still could have been a great book about filmmaking that I would have loved to seen. Yeah. And, and on this, I will say that I, uh, never really dabble in Reddit much, but I, uh, you know, when answer the call is coming out, I found a breakdown of answer the call that leaked under Reddit. It was 90% accurate. And, you know, I remember kind of being disappointed by hearing some of that, you know, for like example, like the ghost jumpers that they see on the TV, you know, seeing that on there. But I think they would have done a much better job to just release the little bits or, you know, just release the content, but don't engage with those people. Because I think that negativity just made this way, way more out of proportion than it should have been. And I know that he was just defending his cast and crew and everything they're working on and, and trying to justify that. And I think that goes a long way, but yeah, I just don't see their having had a, a better way to do that without just completely disengaging from, from the wide audience. Right. It would have been, uh, I hate to mention them, but you know, the band follow up boy, they're on the soundtrack, but they broke up for a number of years and came back. And they just released an album. No one knew they released an album or had been in the recording studio. Could you imagine what this movie would have been like had no one even known it was being made until they announced yeah. the trailer? 
like that would have eliminated so much backlash and they'd have been like, you did what? And so less stress on them too. Like there's one line that I always fixate on because I watched the film with my daughter. My daughter loves it. She makes me skip over some of the spooky parts. That's okay. But there's one scene where, you know, after they take the YouTube video and they put it up online and one of the comments says, ain't no bitches going to hunt ghosts. And that's, that's a direct response to what was happening to them while they were shooting the movie. So they, you know, real time are, are rewriting this uh, as they're going. And it takes me out of it because it's like, oh, well, this is kind of, it, it brings back all the stuff that we had to deal with back in 2016. Paul but Feig, also like, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted a, a quick note about that. Paul Feig on the commentary with Katie Dippold claims that that was not a response to the online stuff, but it, they said it, was, it feels it like it is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh. And that's, that's why I'd love to see the original script, which they've never released either, yeah. just to kind of mm -hmm. see, um, but, but also it's one of those things that in, in the movie that is now introducing new generations, new audiences to Ghostbusters, um, it's the awkward one that I have to have with my small daughter. Like, what, what does that mean? And I have to be like, uh, uh, ask me again later, ask your mom, you know, like, I don't have to, I don't have to deal with this with a three-year-old. Uh, Here, here's, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, I, th I think, you know, if they would have been heroes, if there would have been, because one of the biggest draws to Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, was it was aspirational. You see that as a kid, no matter what age you are, you want to be a Ghostbuster. They're heroes, they're rock stars, they get out of their Ecto-1, everybody's cheering for them. Huge applause. You think, oh man, I want to be like them. I want to be, I want to be uh, Peter Venkman. I'm the coolest Ghostbuster. And then in this, I think if that same audience would have seen this, and seeing that the the Ghostbusters were rock stars and everybody loved them and they come out of that rock concert and she goes, we're the Ghostbusters. And, goes, yeah! and they're just heroes from that point forward. I think it would have been a totally different movie. And I think they wouldn't have, if they wouldn't have fixated on the need to respond. And I understand why they had to respond to it. You obviously don't want to turn a blind eye to it, but uh, yeah, I, I, that's, that's the one thing that I came away from rewatching it to talk to you guys about was it's like, if this didn't have the time capsule of what was happening in 2016, it would also be a totally different film. Sorry, Chris, I, I stepped on you. What, what were you no, saying? no, you didn't say it. I, I, I mean, my point is your point, which this movie had an uphill fight on several fronts. Like, I think this movie could have been made um, like flawlessly and perfectly, and it still, it still would have had a fight, uh, you know, to to I don't know, get six at a. 10 on imdb or whatever it is like um it, some of it's just bad luck timing um you know being made in the middle of a growing culture war that's still ongoing yeah. um at the beginning the, of the culture war like ghostbusters was the right there are the for it and it's like the the I'm sony thing the can i not be in the middle of this right now uh the sony hack put stuff that honestly should have been just behind the scenes business stuff right out in front for everybody to opine on um, um again i think maybe just because if, if the news cycle never ends it became very clear that there was a uh, even after the sony hack a kind of a war between uh you know feig who was tapped to get the movie made and the people who put the originals out as to how this thing should play out that's never going to end well um uh, uh, I like I said that that's an uphill fight no matter how you look at it. But the one thing it's got going for it, the one thing that it's got going for it that you could never take away from it, even even 
Like if it did not, if it had not happened and 2016 came and went and, and somehow, you know, Jason came forward with his script and everybody, that's a great idea. Let's make that. And it, it's a proper three. The thing is, is he's going to make a movie and I'm curious, he may be able to do it, but I don't think it's as a strong an introduction to what a Ghostbusters movie is than 2016 was. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people saw 2016 and got, you know, an intro to what the first movie is like. We all saw the first movie. We all saw the second movie. And if we had to wait and saw the third movie, third movie makes sense. But the third movie is built upon stuff from the first movie and the second movie. Mm. So unless you're a kid whose family is like, oh, I love these movies. You should watch these movies too. A large chunk of mainstream cinema goers not going to be well-versed in Ghostbusters. And I'm curious to see, like, did Jason make it so it could stand alone on its own if, a, you know, a 10-year-old sits down and sees it? Or is did he luck out? Did, did 2016 lay out the groundwork for, if you know nothing else about the original movies, at least you've got a sense of what Ghostbusting is. and yeah. Or the 2016 spurred you to then go back and watch the other ones. Kind of like how Amazing Spider-Man made uh, Spider-Man Homecoming that much sweeter. Like you you saw that movie and you realized, oh, I wish this was connected with the MCU. I wish that this was happening. And But but younger audiences saw those first two films and and still love those first two Amazing Spider-Man films. Uh, but then when, when Homecoming came out, like that's, you know, it, it, it made it that much better of an experience because you had kind of seen where things could go and now you're seeing where they are going to go. That, that sort of sliding yeah. doors thing. Yeah. yeah. I think you got a great point there, Chris. I mean, if anything, I manage one every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Paul delivers the point that it taught kids what ghostbusting is, right? So they don't need to see the old two movies to go see this because they're going to say, well, we know what a proton pack is. Yeah, we know what a ghost trap is. If, they, if they're familiar with that, right? Hopefully they go back and watch those and enjoy them. But, you know, people are going to go see this movie and have to watch them before or after and kind of get a foundation of where things are. But I, I love how it just makes it easy to pick up and walk into a movie. Just like that Spider-Man comparison. I mean, it just, yeah, it's it's perfect for it, right? We didn't need a third introduction to Spider-Man. We don't need a third going into business movie or a fourth at this point, right? You don't need another origin story. Now you can just pick up and you you assume that the audience knows a certain amount of, of information. You can go from there. Yeah. I don't think it's any coincidence that after Answer the Call came out, uh, availability of Ghostbusters across multiple streaming platforms went right up. Prior to that, it wasn't, it was kind of here yeah. and there and they were signing like on again, off again exclusives with like Netflix and something like that. And you had to do the, oh, it's up, oh, it's down, oh, it's up. Oh, right. right now, the average household has access to at least one streaming platform that has the original movies, right? Like, so I, like I said, with thanks to answer the call, I think there's a whole, not only that, I think there's a whole bunch of kids that are, were like, you know, young and had, you know, went in with the, the, the young open hearts to see the first one that are now, you know, teenagers that are looking for more complicated stuff or looking for stuff. Um, Enter Jason here? Reitman. That's that's his bread and butter. You know, it is. Yeah, your your coming of age stories with teenagers uh, having to deal with the the world on their shoulders yeah. and Ghostbusters family is, and yeah, yeah. It's it's hip. You know, I mean, it's still it's not Star Wars level saturation, so it's still kind of hip to wear a Ghostbusters T shirt and stuff like that. And yeah, I think, like I said, I think the 
had answered the call not come along the number of people that's the newer generations of kids that saw the old movies would have been incredibly low really low which then begs the question jason's not a dum-dum he knows after 35 pushing 40 years you come out with a third movie you kind of do have to talk as if the audience may not have seen the originals uh could have altered it for him like i i i uh, i think that might be why honestly one other yeah. one of the reasons that he's thankful for answer the call is yeah it like i we couldn't have counted on you know some some mattel action figures and idw to to train up you know a movie going audience the you know the largest part of a movie going audience mainstream audience to go see this third movie and you don't have to do another origin story you don't have to you can do a sense of discovery in this one where it's like the ghostbusters already existed you know uh, yeah answer the call had to start from scratch and you had to see how they came to, which again going back to, to justin's whole point sorry man we just are veering off on a tangent here <laughs> but one of the things that i love about that film is that it does show their origins it does show that they were kids uh who grew up and one of them had a paranormal experience and and wanted to investigate this and wanted to find ways to discover ghosts. And then you see how they do end up creating their technology to capture the ghost because they need to capture the ghost to prove the existence of ghosts. It's not a business venture. Like it's kind of fun to see that happen, but that's not exposition that Ghostbusters Afterlife is now hamstrung with. They don't have to deal with like, okay, we have to teach you that ghosts, people don't think ghosts are real. And we don't have to teach you what a Ghostbusters yeah. is. We don't have to show them going to business. Like, all of this has happened and now this story can can occur so um, the most yeah, it's interesting we saw it in the teaser which is the old youtube video of like literally that bit between rudd and the kids is the little bit of exposition for people who may not have seen the originals which was mm -hmm. oh back in 84 there were these guys and they did this big thing and now people kind of forgot about them but yeah they used to run around and shoot ghosts and people are like I, okay, cool. Yeah. I saw that. I know what the shooting ghost part is because I saw answer the call. And if they had not seen there, they're now going to leave this third movie going. I kind of want to fill in some blanks. I'll go back and see it. Now, I know how everybody forgot the ghosts exist. Like I get, okay. Yeah. The, the UN was bombed in the eighties and things like that happened. Like, okay, you forget <laughs> about that, but the existence of ghosts was forgotten. Anyway, just kidding. Yeah, stay puffed. Not on that YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to record that. All the so people who ran away in Columbus Circle that, that, well, that there are first-person accounts of running away from this giant 50-foot marshmallow the man. Same in the second movie. How does no one remember? Yeah, yeah. those are all cease and desist from uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Company. Uh, that's our company. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's covered up by the Stay Puft. Good for them for enduring, though. Good for that company for rebranding and picking themselves back up. And I like to pretend that in 1995, 96, you could go to the the... 7-Eleven, go to the magazine rack, pick up yourself a copy of like uh, PC World or whatever magazine in in its in its plastic bag, and it comes with a CD, and the CD is uh, all the cool videos off the internet on one disc, and there in amongst uh, tiny 350 by whatever videos of exploding whales and amazing <laughs> basketball shots is a 15 second piece of news footage of a giant marshmallow guy walking like it's just lost to the background noise of the internet now uh -huh. yeah, exactly i gotta say uh alec looks like you're gonna jump in there no go ahead oh uh, all the merch though that this gave us right and not just the merch for the movie itself but we got the film score 
on vinyl for the original film, right? We've got the second film score getting ready to come out. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a few things here I'll just show off. You know, obviously got the Target Edition Blu-ray that everyone has, right? I think everyone, you know, I chose that one because it had the additional behind-the-scenes footage. That's yeah. That's more appealing to me. But the Japanese import, because the box of this thing is amazing. I was so bummed we didn't get that here. That was so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I paid a lot on eBay, but it's it's amazing. Well, they always It's weird. It's almost like Japan just took the movie at face value instead of like fighting one another about it on Uh the internet. (laughs) But I mean, they even released the film score for the new movie on CD and vinyl. I didn't get the record, but, you know, having that on record, like, that's that's the stuff we want right here, right? Yeah. We're, we have a vinyl market right now, and that's the resurgence there for physical media, just for collectors, the nostalgia of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to collecting all the things from the new movie, but had Answer the Call not come out and done that, right? Would they have even bothered doing the original movie film scores on, on vinyl like that, right? You know, that was always kind of... Not kinda a early, to, at least. Yeah, yeah, you had to go get that on the down low off the internet. You're like, oh, I want the film score, so I'm going to go to uh, somewhere and gather it. And uh, yeah. you know, yeah. like, I'll, I would pay for it if I could, but you don't have a way for me to pay for this. So, and, and it acted as the test pancake for this new movie now, too. They, they saw what worked and what didn't work in 2016. Uh, the partnerships, you know, look at Walmart getting all these exclusives and Target getting all of these exclusives and things like that. But um, yeah, it's... They, they now know that we're going to buy that soundtrack on vinyl for the next movie. So we should make sure that there's a vinyl release, even if it's through Mondo and it's limited, like we should make sure that that's out there because the collectors will, will want that. Uh, the, the packaging in Japan, like a perfect example, the steel books, things like that, all, all of that merch that the, the licensing and consumer products people had mapped out for 2016 and saw like this sold, this didn't sell think of what they're doing now with with ghostbusters afterlife going like okay so this sold let's do more of that yeah this didn't sell we don't have to worry about that uh everybody is the big question mark it's a bad question everybody forgets that corporations the size of sony there's an actuarial um element to how they make decisions right answer the call generated a pile of data for sony to decide what worked, what didn't work. If it didn't work, how should it maybe have been tweaked to work better? Demographic uh, to target. Right? Like, it just, yeah. it's just, all that stuff is now being fed in. And I mean, it's paid off. I mean, in the five years between Answer the Call and now, the amount oh. of stuff based on the original movies. And you got to um, know that that paid off for them everywhere, though. I mean, imagine how they use that data for Into the Spider-Verse, right? Totally. They use that data across everything that they're doing because there was some stuff that yeah. came out and I... I bought a lot of it. I've kept um, a decent amount of it. Some of the toys I, I sold to my brother there, I guess really just gave, but you know, I mean, I still got a proton pack for one of the little guys. He was like, I paid good money for those. Thanks, man. Like 50 bucks. And, uh, you know, I would like to say thank you because Holtzman is pretty rare these days on eBay. It's yeah. not the only one, but. <laughs> no, but I've got a lot of the rest of the stuff and it's, it's still an important piece of time and all the information they gathered from that, like, you know, they're able to take that and, and sell us things that, you know, that we really want and avoid that. But, you know, if Coke is listening and that they, they've probably got way better things to do uh-huh. and sponsored by RC anyway, at least that's our ongoing joke um, is with these freestyle. <laughs> they could easily do, you know, every AMC theater I've ever been to now has the freestyle machine. Yeah. 
High C Ecto Cooler is a freestyle exclusive for AMC theaters, right? That'd be a good way to generate foot traffic and ad revenue for them. Other the theaters, totally. Yeah. Right. yeah, you know, or any other theater chain for that matter, right? You have that option there. So it's real easy to do that. Those are basically like print cartridges. It's, you know, low overhead to make some of those and you don't even have to do a physical release if you don't want. Sell it for the movie viewing and then, you yeah, know, it's get hard that. to get you to spend money on anything that's marketed as Ghostbusters. Anything, you slap that logo on anything and I'll fucking buy it. And <laughs> I mean, a lot of us are the same way. You don't even have to put the logo on it. It can be vaguely reminiscent of Ghostbusters, like the slime that you can buy at Baskin Robbins. At now, Baskin now, I, yeah, I was thinking the same I thing. I want to get a jar of that, even though it's not marketed as Ghostbusters. I'm like, it's clearly Ghostbusters and there's Baskin Robbins in the new movie. So I have to go buy a jar of that. The number of microbrew places that have come up with a <laughs> Ghostbuster adjacent name and the no yeah. logo that are, have sold piles of their beer to people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think if we came back in another five years, I'm curious to see if that's enough time passed that they might start letting Answer the Calls come back into the, uh, come out and play a bit more in terms of merch and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I think I mean, right, five years right now, is a little just, too soon. Yeah, they're they're focused on the original, you know, the the OGBs, uh, you know, be, because they want to be reinforcing for Ghostbusters Afterlife. They don't want to have any confusion in the marketplace now. Of like, well, remember, oh, is this the sequel to that movie? I don't get it. Um, this this should have been last year, and so OGB should have been out of the way and left Fifth Anniversary clear for answer the call. But I still I still feel five years. Yeah. yeah, might not have been enough. I think mostly what it would have done is instead of celebrating answer the call or letting the people who liked answer the call have fun it just would have uh opened the floodgates to to shouting match again but 10 years which which actually if you're a fan of answer the call that's a sucky time to ask them to wait but i like to think that you know 10th anniversary well afterlife will come out and everybody that wants to hate on something will have a new thing to hate on it's the star wars model it's like what new star wars uh, movie is out that i can hate on and now all of a sudden this one is split the hate vote across several things yeah it's uh <laughs> you know for jason saying hey man thanks for taking the bus head on uh for us here uh poor jason's gonna get his own thing too where it's like well why wasn't it this and why why didn't it have these things and i hate this now i really appreciate ghostbusters answer the call but yeah um, As we look into that though, and you talk to people about the new movie, like set your expectations, watch some Jason Reitman films before you go see this movie, because it's going yeah. to be drastically different than anything you can imagine if you're not familiar with his work. And his work is amazing. It's heartfelt. I mean, I remember going back and seeing Thank You for Smoking in theaters and saying, Jason Reitman. I'm like, is that really is that Ivan's yeah. kid? And then you look it up later and you're like, Ivan's son is a director too. Okay. And like you watch that movie and you laugh and you're like, Oh, okay. You know, that's a whole other thing. And if you can find that balance of heart and comedy, you know, I think, I think we've got something really special coming to us. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny. Like you were saying with the biggest influence in, Oh, sorry, Alec, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I literally just sum it up. I want extreme ghostbusters plasma series. Move along. You're you go. Yes. <laughs> extreme ghostbusters. Anything at this point, like you guys had Steve Perry on. I wanted to be like, tell that guy to record some commentaries, even if, uh, uh we're not going to get it on dvd or something but um, oh right yeah yeah put it on, uh, on blu-ray want it I, I, they like should the, the one thing else i i just want to say like with with answer the call like the highest compliment that i can pay for it is it has it's it's hit that like shawshank redemption 
uh, type, uh, whatever that mode or gear is that you have, where you, when you see it on TV, no matter where it is, you will click over to it and you will watch it. And, and answer the call has become that for me, like it's on TBS and, and sci-fi and a whole bunch of channels all the time now. So you will catch it midstream or at the end of the movie and I'll go, I'll go watch it. And that's like to Chris's point, I think in 10 years, I think people are going to realize that like, it's a fun movie. Like it's fun. It's good to have on in the background. It's one of those things you can watch and you can enjoy. Um, and if you're not carrying all of the fan baggage with it, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And then yeah. the other piece we haven't even talked about is how much the video game influenced this movie, right? Because all the proton wrangling where you're not trapping right. that whole like final act, the big montage feels right out of a video game, right? You really yeah. feel you're in there playing as the character and it, Harkens right back to the video game where, you, yeah, you're not trapping the whole time. You're doing some other things and you've got other weapons to try and other technology. And it really feels like, you know, they, they took these influences and it didn't pan out how they wanted to, but I think their hearts were in the right spot. And it's, it's still fun enough to be something that I'm not going to be like, oh, if that's on to your point, yeah, I'll watch it. Or I'll even be like, you know what? I haven't seen that in a little while. I'll go ahead and throw that on. Right. Yeah. And, and a sign of the times. I mean, uh, video game narrative is a common theme through all of storytelling. Now you watch any movie and then you get to the third act, you have to fight the big boss. Uh, there's a big battle. You have to find the way to win. And then you save the day. There are courses now. Uh, the, the course that I'm thinking of is called Nintendo narratives at the school that I went to. And they talk about that, like the influence of video games on all of, of filmmaking as a whole. So, yeah, of course, you watch Ghostbusters Answer the Call. It's not going to be the same 1984 Ghostbusters because it's a whole different audience that has different expectations for what a film uh, can and should be. And for 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 everything that Paul Feig and Katie Dippold and, and everybody that was involved in the film, they were trying to make this like the next generation's Ghostbusters. And I think that's why they wanted to create its own thing that they could kind of hand over and pass the torch uh, to them, to them with, and same thing. So they knew that like, they wanted to have the big fight in, uh, in times square where they were, you know, they were, they were using the shotgun. They were using the ghost chipper. They were using the proton bombs. Uh, Holtzman had the surprise thing that she forgot about, which everybody always points to as their favorite moment in the movie, because it's such a great payoff for Holtzman. Cause she gets her own moment, her own time to shine. And it's, it's the, the music is great. The imagery uh -huh. is great. Uh, the, the gadgets are all great. Um, but, but that, that particular moment that everybody points to that they love would not have happened in a movie from the mid eighties to the, to the late eighties. Like there's, there's, you would never really have that, that moment of like, well, now this character has to have their arc and this character has to have their arc. Like Marty McFly gets to the end of back to the future and he saves the day, but he doesn't really learn anything. Uh, maybe yeah. he, you know, learns a few things, but he doesn't have to have that moment of like, this is my, you know, so they tried to sneak a little bit of that in there with him, you know, learning not to be offended when people call him chicken. chicken basically. Yeah. Like that's sort of a little bit of it. It forced in there. But, but yeah. And again, and that happened in the later movies too. Like that yeah, was like, Hey, look, we're coming into the nineties where every character has to have an arc. Um, so yeah. And you look at Holtzman, right? That whole arc is like the Ghostbusters version of Laura Croft. Right. And you've seen so many iterations of that, but dual pistols coming out and like just owning the scene. And I think that's another thing that people forget is we've been lucky that all, all of us on right now have had the, the chance to see how film and cinema and movies and entertainment has just grown and adapted and changed in a call and response constantly. And, you know, like we're at the age, like 
some of the very few people still that are spend a lot of money that, you know, I remember the days before the internet was widely available. So that's a whole, whole other thing to consider when you're looking at how people digest these things. Yeah. Yeah. What, what what are some of you guys' favorite movies? I feel like Chris and I, because we're really we're podcast hogs, I feel like that if you listen to our podcast, you know the, the Ghostbusters interdimensional cross rip is just wall to wall us. Um but, <laughs> uh, but but there are redeeming, you know, the, the Holtzman dual pistols uh, moment is one of my favorites. Like, what are some of you guys' favorite like that that moment that you point to and you go like oh, i really like that i like that one scene or that one shot or one there's a couple things but i think one of the big ones for me would be the intro scene i like how it actually it it sets up kind of like the other movies do where they're like all right here's a spooky event that's going to lead to something else that the ghostbusters are going to come back to we're going to we do the, the theme song throw up the logo that fun stuff yeah um but i really like Zach Woods in that role. I like the funny bits in the Aldridge mansion. I love anything in the Aldridge mansion. I love all of that stuff. And like when they go there and she gets slimed and then starts freaking out. I, I it's one of the things I laugh out loud every time is when she starts freaking out and says, go surreal, go surreal into the camera. And then it goes <laughs> to the office and the guy's just like, mm. you know, I, I love that too. So the, the, yeah, the Charles dance trying to play that off. Like who is that? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's all the Aldridge Mansion stuff is is great, and the way that they did the Gertrude Aldridge ghost, like when um, is it Bess Bess Rouse? Is that her name, Chris? I can't remember. I remember. Uh, from 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 other space, um, but she when she comes around that corner, and you can tell that it's it's a practical person in a wire rig with all this cool illumination and stuff like that's such a great ghost reveal. Yeah, uh, and and is very different than the sort of like optical double exposure printing uh that we were used to from the 80s where everything kind of felt like the pepper's ghost effect where it was just sort of like a translucent uh, ghost in front of you it's like oh this thing is in that space and this is how they decided to, to define that yeah yeah man i i love all the aldridge mansion stuff it's all good mm -hmm. same yeah that's great i really love the subway ghost and just seeing them use the proton stream like that first time you see that proton stream you're like okay this is this is really <laughs> Right. You, you see that. And then they're not afraid to do different stuff. And like the gratuitous use of slime down in there. And you see him like, you know, that he's going to be the third scariest thing on that train. Uh, you know, <laughs> like there's just some good lines in there. I don't feel going to Queens. Yeah. I love that. What's your iron. Do you know your iron level? No, uh, it doesn't. That, that's, that's such a good line. Yeah. And, and another, another good uh, real Ghostbusters uh, allegory there too, that the slime is always targeting Kristen Wiggs character Aaron for some strange reason it's it's Peter Venkman and real Ghostbusters why does Slimer only seem to slime Venkman mm. in the cartoon because well that's what we saw in the first movie and it's just a running joke yeah yeah that's a good point um I think one of the valid criticisms is of the ending being a CGI fest but at the same time it's still really fun and cool to look at and it's really well done CGI. So it has yeah. that going for it. I like, um, I get callbacks to the mask when he has the people doing the dance poses and yeah. stuff. And I always, always makes me think of the mask. Cuban Pete. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the things I'd like to see the original script for is just to get a better idea of what they cut out of that end yeah. thing. Like that giant government, you know, proton, throwing truck or whatever that just sat there and 
never yeah, got they, used. They were supposed to fire that on Rowan, and it was supposed to be uh, totally ineffective. Or yeah, huh. let's see. But, the the it is a bit of a CG fest. I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of movies these days, and like if you have any amount of sci-fi or horror or well, right, what yeah. have you, they're going to end as a CGI fest one way or another. Uh, I don't. I don't even know if you can counter that these days, unfortunately. Right. I'm okay. I think this one did, like I said, a good job mixing the practical with the CGI, and that's the best way to go these days. I mean, come on, we we, we want some practical effects, and you can enhance a little bit with some CGI, like the yeah. slime um, on Aaron in the in the Aldrich Mansion is that way. It's like a lot of it was practical, but they added some CGI slime because they didn't get quite the effect they wanted. Yeah, they it's certainly. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say they enhance the scene. And that's the thing that this movie does almost perfect, in my opinion, is the natural lighting they use. All the LED lighting they had on the proton wands, all the drone for um, Mayhem, the ghost, as he's flying around. There's just so many beautiful things about this movie where they're like, okay, how do we make this better for post-production, right? Because I think everyone could agree that with CGI, your biggest thing is that the lighting doesn't react like a normal environment in CGI, right? And that's really hard to get right. And so if you actually supply the necessary lighting up front, it makes the job in post-production so much easier. <laughs> I'm also curious, like I want to read that book you were talking about, Justin, the big making of book uh, at some point, maybe 10 years when when Chris is talking about that we have that rear view mirror uh, distance on it where we can actually start talking about things pretty yeah. honestly and, and truthfully. Because I bet that that third act there's a whole thing where Rowan turns Times Square back to the 1970s and you see the the taxi driver billboard and you see the Hague and the, the cigarettes and like it, he turns back time in Times Square and he has the 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 Thanksgiving Day uh, parade balloons from a decade or several decades before the 70s. What, what was that all about? Like, I feel like there was something else there. And then in the, t in the span of rewriting things and figuring things out to maybe end the movie, like, I, I feel like that was such a cool concept that we kind of are ambiguous toward like what that actually meant. Like, we're going to turn back the clock to a darker time of New York City. Why? I don't understand. Like that, that whole thing was very cool. And, and seeing that sort of, uh, that juxtaposition of like seventies New York with the pilgrims and the, all of the different ghosts from different time periods. Uh, like yeah. what was happening there? That, that would have been something cool to, to explore a little, little bit further. And maybe, maybe they did. And then maybe they decided like, no, yeah, we need to set a, a big montage to ACDC shoot to thrill. Uh, so let's start choreographing that. And we'll worry about all the other stuff in the background later. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm very curious. At some point when that big Rinsler making of book comes out, I'm down. I want to read that. Yeah, if even if you hate this movie, just watch the behind the scenes stuff just to see how amazing the filmmaking is on this and how thoughtful it was. And you know, I have heard that Neil Casey did have a lot cut out of this film, uh, just as far as the Rowan scenes, you know, in yeah. the background around the hotel, around the diner, a number of those scenes just were cut. Just you know, obviously you write way more than you need to develop backstory. And as you edit a movie, you cut out what isn't critical, right? You know, I mean, a movie's going to run your hour, 20 minutes, so, or hour and a half, and you really need to get, get to the point and get through it. I mean, even the regular cut of this was two hours, which feels pretty long compared to the regular Ghostbusters, you know, the original, right? You yeah. feel, okay, this feels like it's a little run out. And then you've got the extended edition, 
And there's still so much that we still don't know, right? It's almost there's still like, like an hour and a half of deleted scenes on that that online version too, the target version that you got. Like there's so much that was on the cutting room floor. And I think I think that's because, you know, Paul Feig kind of comes from the Judd Apatow, Adam McKay school of like, well, just just go. Let's do like 13 takes of it. Just freestyle it. And they get so much in the can that they can use. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like Ghostbusters too, right? Obviously, you go in with intentions of something, and the sequelitis that that went through was, you know, let's face it, Coca-Cola was trying to sell real Ghostbusters stuff, right? You know, there's yeah. a for-profit industry, right? When you look at it that way, and you go, okay, I understand why they made some of those changes. You want it to be a little bit friendlier for families and kids, and that's why Ray doesn't try to roll the ecto and murder everybody, right? <laughs> some of that stuff that's cut out of there, you're like, well, let's just kill everybody that's a Ghostbuster, and you know, and, and you cut those things out just because it makes sense, right? You're going to tell a certain story a certain way. And regardless of the influence on that, you know, at the end of the day, your finished product is not influenced only by yourself, but the producers, the bankers, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in these things that we just take for granted. We never stop to assess and think like, that's a lot of pressure to do that. And, uh, and you're making a movie for not the audience that you expected. You know, Ivan Reitman went into uh, Ghostbusters in 83 thinking he was making another sort of Stripes Caddyshack movie for teenagers to adults. And then all of a sudden kids latch onto it, um, which is great because that's what made it the phenomenon that it was. Um, but then you start to realize all of the problematic things for kids. Uh, they're smoking. They're... Uh, Everything is grungy and dirty. We got to soften things up for kids a little bit. Uh, and, and the cartoon did that. So the next movie did that. And then answer the call, same thing. It's like, well, we know that kids like Ghostbusters. So we have to make this both entertaining for adults, but also make sure we don't alienate kids. Um, so yeah. it'll be interesting to see how Afterlife handles that too. It's like, they want to be like the original 1984 film, but you still have to kind of keep it. I think it's a PG-13 movie, right? So you got you to gotta yeah. keep at least 13-year-olds uh, in mind for it. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that pans out. I think they'll do a great job of that. You know, like I said, I've seen Jason's work, and I, I got faith in his ability to tell a story while making it funny, but eliminating all the dick jokes that, you know, we've grown to love from the first movie. So yeah, I always have to fast forward over the blowjob scene. I don't want to explain that to my daughter yet. Sorry, yeah. that's, just, that's a quick 10-second skip. It's got to happen. Go ahead. Yeah, there's no reason to discuss that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those funny things that people always say about Answer the Call is that they don't like the humor, and they always the first one they always bring up is the queef joke, and you're like, all right, come on, there's nothing but dick jokes in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah, having a kind of joke here. A while ago, it was like one of the biggest jokes in this movie is emasculating a man saying that, he doesn't have his reproductive organ, right? You're like, we call him dickless. And you guys are offended by a, a lady making a similar style joke in a movie about yeah. you know, passing gas. And they're like, huh, it's very yeah. interesting what people find appropriate and inappropriate based on their personal taste. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Chris said, it's subjective. It's all subjective. Yeah. Although I think in a lot of those cases, they're just looking for something to like complain about more than anything. I don't, I don't. I don't think it's personal taste so much as I will be offended about this because it backs the argument I want to yeah, <clears throat> cling to. Yeah. So any, uh, well, Alec, do you got any final thoughts on your side here? Uh, no, not that I can think of. Um, just excited to see this next Ghostbusters movie. And then, you know what? I'm glad answer the calls made because now instead of having only two I've doubled the amount of Ghostbusters movies in the last five years. I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Four now. 
And uh, right. if you're only going to watch the other three way more than answer the call or the, just the other two, depending on when afterlife comes out, it's, it's just, I like everything ghostbusters. I really like extreme ghostbusters. And I know that a lot of people don't, but I'm just like more ghosts. They're wrong. I'm sold. They're wrong. Chris. Yeah. Chris and Nila, they're wrong. Extreme they're ghostbusters wrong. is great. I love it. What about you? Any, any other thoughts from you, Justin? <laughs> No, but I was going to say with Troy and uh, and Chris here, you know, Chris is famous for his, his final thoughts. So I was going to throw it to him after Troy. <laughs> but why? Why am I Eric famous? Uh, this is where I just kick back and relax yeah. and let him go. My final thought, and this came up while we were talking, is because we talked about this before, that playing the role-playing game, real Ghostbusters lends itself to coming up with scenarios for the role-playing game. And the same goes for answer the call. Like, and I understand why no official version was done, but like, why didn't those of us that actually like the role playing game? Why didn't we? Why haven't we yet built any resources for answer the call for the role playing yeah. game? Right? How come we haven't worked out the the gear a bit? And how come we haven't worked out like the Aldridge Mansion should literally be the training, uh, the training, uh, training uh, bust for people new to the role-playing game because even though you've seen the movie you know who she is very little else is handled about her as a ghost we never see her caught we never see you know we very, don't see a lot of the other house you don't dig into the history to add more to the story it is beautifully made for sending a handful of people into a, a house with a, a ghost to, to go catch it so my final thought is i feel like i need to maybe do some of that <laughs> Like, I got tons of spare time, but I don't think it's, I, I mean, the resources are there to play the role-playing game, and I guess technically anybody could just play Answer the Call or esque type scenarios if they wanted to anyways, if they had a good dungeon master. Uh, Create the Aldridge Mansion, yeah. Yeah, but why, I don't know, maybe we should just work it out so that the materials are out. That's my final thought, is uh, long summer coming, uh, you know, fall's coming, Halloween's coming, new movies coming, and answer the call, I think, uh, unfairly, is going to have to cool its heels for political reasons, uh, corporate reasons. So in the meantime, yeah, maybe a few of us that like the role-playing game need to put our heads together and put some... Uh... They did stats. Somebody did put out stats, I think, for the characters. A lot I think of the somebody role-playing did do game. character cards, yeah. And that's where it ended. And I think we should have gone further with it. I think the Aldridge Mansion needs to be written up in the same style you know, like a four pager in the same style as the original role playing game. Those those terrible column layouts and all of that. That you know, if you haven't seen the movie or if you have, puts in all the incidental characters, all the little history that you might manage to dig up. And yeah, just oh, they don't have their packs. Well, I guess you could do it as a <laughs> you've run out ghost surreal. Get your equipment, establish yourselves. Then you get to go back and buster officially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? That's my final thought. I've made work for myself. Thanks, guys. As always, homework. No, I think that's great. I mean, I really think that works to carry that role playing game on and expand that for people. And then, you know, that could bring new people into the role playing game, right? Oh, they have absolutely right. You know, people are always looking for ways to do things, and hopefully, we're through with lockdowns. But you know, it's a good way to even do. You know, I know a lot of people are still carrying on game nights virtually, just because it's a great way to get together, even when you can't all drive together. So, 
That's excellent. Excellent thought. So appreciate uh-huh. your time, gentlemen. We hope to have you back on soon and chat with this you. This is great. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. This was yep. fun. Yes. All right. Well, if uh, you guys want to give a shout out with where to find your guys' stuff, if they're not familiar with your show, go for it. <laughs> if you are down with listening to Ghostbusters uh, podcasts for hours every week, uh, then the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Cross Trip is the podcast for you. That's for sure. Uh, GhostbustersHQ.net uh, is where you can find the Cross Trip uh, or on any of your podcatching app. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, the works, we're, we're in all of those. Uh, and I'm at Ghostbusters HQ on all of the social medias. Um, Proton Charging and the, at the Cross Rip. And I think you and I mostly haunt Twitter more than anything else. These yeah, days. mainly Twitter, but but Instagram uh, as well. We're, we're jealous of the Frog Brothers on Instagram. You yeah. guys have such an awesome presence that it's just, that's, yeah. We like I'm the old mantra. How does this Instagram work? Oh, I've been trying. With this, with this room, with the video store decorations helps a lot. I can just be like, all right, I'm just yeah. going to pull VHS off and model it and take a photo. It all totally right. was. I do, I do like Alex is. Foray into just angering people on TikTok, though. I, I, oh, I kind of yes. want to go into that, too. That seems like fun. It, it, is, it is super fun. I have so far claimed that Answer the Call is one of the remakes that exist in, in life that is better than the original. <laughs> and it, it has, like... 40, 45 comments. And actually, you know what? There's like five people who are like, oh, I like it. And they're not, they're just like, I like that movie. <laughs> they're not even arguing with me. They're just like, oh yeah, cool. And right uh, on, there's, I, I posted another saying something about uh, how Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie and that Ryan Johnson can do no wrong. And again, there's some people that are just like, Ugh. like somebody uh, was said something about like, he wanted to kill me. Like it wasn't a threat on my life, but it was like, he definitely wanted to end my life. <laughs> and like right below that's just somebody like oh I'd, at least jedi was my last favorite uh but it's still good you know <laughs> watch it yeah lots of wide variety on there i don't know what my next uh hot take will be <laughs> the robocop reboot was far superior to paul verhoven's original that's your next one, oh, that's uh, a good one. Yes. please do that that's great that'd be amazing mm-hmm. And he's doing all these videos. So if they run into us, they'll just attack him and I'll be fine. But like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that guy. I, he's my brother. No, I it literally know. says on my TikTok account, if you go to our page from there, the our bio says, you've been had. So like, <laughs> right, it should go. be obvious. Sure, that's beautiful. Somebody, one of the questions we got was, uh, comments was, is this satire? <laughs> and I just said back, good question. <laughs> no, it's life. <laughs> life is satire. Right. Oh, yeah, that's been a great time. All right, gentlemen, we'll chat soon. You guys have a great night. Appreciate your time. It's great seeing you, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye, Chris. Poor Chris. (laughs) Thank you.